Okay, Nathan here from An Evening with Nate. Um, you might notice the the writing of episode 2.5, and it's, it's quite bizarre. So, as a clarification, today's episode will not relate with, um, with the main episodes of An Evening with Nate. I'm currently discussing about stories and fiction and all that. And my discussion will conclude at later episodes. Today's episode is quite different. It's an it's an intermission of sorts in between my more serious discussions. And I'm going to to delve in uh, decade awards, um, awarding some of the greatest um, forms of, of media of entertainment that I enjoyed throughout the past ten years from 2010. Uh, to 2019. You see, um, when I planned out the episodes for this podcast, I forgot the fact that, you know, in a, in a, in a few weeks now, it would be quite stale to, to make Decade Awards, so I was a bit confused as to how to uh, squeeze this content in between um, an already dense, densely planned series of episodes. So I decided to sneak it in here and see if we can have a little bit of a conversation about musical albums that I thoroughly enjoyed this decade. Now, um, emphasis on thoroughly enjoyed, um, emphasis on I because this will be a very personal and subjective list. This list will of course take into account only albums that I have listened to from front to back and the majority of the albums here I've listened to more than once. So if there's an album that you particularly like that you don't see in this list, um, it is more likely that I have not listened to it than it is that I didn't like it. Uh, there is a lot of uh, there's a lot to cover, so I will have to apologize if I had not listened to your favorite artist's record, no matter how good or well made it is. You have to tolerate that, you know. I am quite limited with what I can do and what I can listen to. It wasn't until. Uh, last year that I subscribed to Spotify, so I've been trying to catch up, I've been trying to catch up, but here are some of the albums that I enjoyed from this decade, and at the end of the day, I'll be giving out, you know, Album of the Decade Award to one of these albums. And um, another reminder that it's my favorite album, I'm not saying that it's the best, because I am not at a position to judge that. So all I can rank these things uh, with is my enjoyment. So, um, a few highlights, a few albums that I would like to mention because I love it so much. First is Titanic Rising. Titanic Rising is a 2019 album by um, artist Wise Blood. That is a stage name. I'm sorry, I do not quite remember her real name. 
that is an album released last year, and it's it's a pop album, but not in the way that you would expect uh, most pop albums to sound. If if I'm getting this right, and I might not, uh, it has its similarities to a subgenre known as dream pop. Again, I may be wrong. There's a lot that can that can make you uh, admire and fall in love with this album, and one thing that sticks out is its aesthetics, its sonic aesthetics, the, the tone that the synths and the instrumentation manages to create, the sound. It's, it's quite distinct, it's quite calming, and it's, it's, a really, it's, it's a really beautiful record, front to back. And, you know, all props to the production team and the musicians. Let us not forget the vocalist and singer herself, Wise Blood, who, in my opinion, uh, delivered the best vocal performance she had ever delivered uh, in terms of, you know, studio full-length music projects. I don't see her dishing out songs with that level of finesse and quality uh, as she did in Titanic Rising there is a distinctness uh, there is a distinctiveness in her voice that that is very difficult to to put your hands on but at the same time it's it's very calming and very nostalgic and it occurred to me that the tone of her voice somehow reminds me of Karen Carpenter now this was a sentiment I kept to myself before I, uh, you know, read and listened to the reviews of of other people, and I was grateful to find out that I shared that sentiment with a lot of people. So it's it's not just me, it's not just what I hear. So, Titanic Rising has its share of great, great songs. And I will always love um, Something to Believe and Movies. Very solid track, very beautiful, daunting tracks. I guess a word that you can use is poignant or poignancy. Which is, which is um, as far as I know, uh, sad but beautiful. Or beautiful in a sad way. And... It covers, I guess, some of the themes that the album talks about. It eloquently discusses about, you know, stuff like heartbreak and love in a very beautiful way. I guess that's all I have to say about it. Um, another honorable mention, I guess, would be Queens of the Stone Ages like clockwork. Now, if I may be frank, it has been quite a while since I listened uh, to the album as a whole. And it really is an interesting project. It's, it's, uh, it's an interesting project to listen to, to admire, and I liked a majority of the tracks, if not all of the tracks. Um, I'm going to give out a very mainstream uh, opinion here that I appear missing as my favorite track of the album. 
Again, it's I appear missing. It is amazing. The vocals, the guitars, the the syncopated relationship between the, the, the drums and the bass are all amazing. But when the song goes off the rails, that's when the greatest, most beautiful moment of the album emerged. There was this... Uh, there was this sort of... I don't know how to explain it. It's like a, a closing outro of, 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 of riffs and melodies over this chord progression and they layered it, layered it with, with solos after solos and, and, and vocals and everything felt like it was coming together crescendoing into this great, uh, great climax just going out there and climbing high into the skies uh, like like you would see a, an aeroplane take off. It was probably one of my favorite experiences listening to an album, you know, in full volume, all by myself. Um, again, it's been a while since I listened to the album as a whole, so um, I won't pretend that I still vividly remember the each and every track i don't have a lot to say but what i can say for sure is this the album manages to stay cohesive thematically and in a way you know sonically without um without sounding boring it's, it's actually uh every song has its similarities, but it doesn't feel like they're a band making the same song, you know, 10, 12 times. Every song feels unique and different, but somehow related. It's like, you know, um, you know, you and your cousins. Is, is that a proper analogy? I don't know. I don't care. So, those are uh, two great albums, and... I think I'm gonna mention two more before we go to the winner. Two or three more. I'm gonna I'm gonna do a quick mention of the epic, and I'm not gonna discuss it a lot because the time for it will come, and it, I certainly will be discussing about this more in depth um, at a later time. Kamasi Washington. The epic. It's a, it's an album with with about three hours of playtime. It's a three-part jazz album, combining a lot of styles, and and several great tracks, instrumentation, renditions, interpretations, are in this. Um, it has amazing catchy hooks. A pinpoint precise improvisation wild moments of its own and serene moments of beauty such as my favorite track of the album actually um, a reimagination of Cloud Debussy's um, famous Claire de Lune made into a jazz piece and it was handled 
gracefully. It was handled with respect. It didn't feel like they were trying to exploit the fans of classical music into listening to, to jazz and, and, and seeing things the jazz way. It, it felt like a bunch of musicians paying tribute to a great musician of the past with respect, with serenity, with appreciation, and with their own style. And I, I have to say, all of the songs on these albums, uh, on this album, feel very solid. But out of a personal, out of a personal experience, Claire de Lune, um, Kamasi's Washington of it, has the highest replay value for me. I could replay it time and time again, and at every time, the the double bass starts its starts its brief little solo and the and the woodwind and the brass come in i would always i would always pop a smile a grin from ear to ear okay um what's next kendrick lamar which kendrick album i think everyone knows 2015's own to pimp a butterfly um, what can I say about the album? I think it is, to this day, one of, if not the best produced hip-hop rap albums of all time. The production quality, the production creativity, is unmatched. Or at the very least, very difficult to match. Who would you name? Who would you name against it? The, the incorporation of jazz into, into, into rap, the, the brilliant, you know, Kendrick's flow in itself is amazing. He has this, this talent of producing like several voices, uh, uh, several personalities out of his own massive flows. And not all the tracks are bangers, but they don't need to be. For Free is one of the most hilarious songs ever, but it's, it's awesome. It's, it's, it's a great treat for your ears to hear. It's just... It's a roller coaster to enjoy. And all this greatness should not take away from the main themes of the album. Which focuses a lot, of course, on um, racial struggles and uh, his personal struggles as as a man who who has you know a lot of experience with discrimination, who has a lot of doubts about the future, man who has you know firsthand seen and experienced injustice. Um, and knowing that there isn't a lot that can be done about it, or at the very least, people don't want anything done about it. And uh, one of the um, I don't I don't think it's criticism, but one of the the reservations that people have about the album is that it possesses a very specific 
message. It has its struggle embedded within it. And so the album really would not give you the full experience if you weren't, uh, at the very least, involved or uh, knowledgeable of the injustices occurring. If you weren't, you know, a witness to it, if you hadn't seen it in real life. And being an Indonesian, I couldn't be more outside of the loop. I couldn't even begin to grasp and understand the, the context behind a lot of the songs and the songwriting. And even if I tried to, then all I have would be words from a Google search. Um, I would never have had the experiences that Kendrick was trying to paint with his melodies, words, and rhythm. And so, you know, people would say that um, to people like me, the album would never provide a full immersive experience. It wasn't a relatable message. But then again, does it have to be so? And allow me to, to, to flip that logic upside down. If to someone like me, someone who is not well-versed or knowledgeable of the current struggles that are depicted within it, the criticism, the protests within TPAB, TPAB, um, if someone like me had not fully grasped the beauty and the, and the power behind the record, then imagine what it would be like to someone who has actually experienced it. The record possesses power over me, who doesn't have a clue on how it is out there. Imagine its power on those who have experienced it firsthand. The fact that it is so popular and so celebrated means that the message is spread beyond those to, who, who would resonate with it. He managed to take something that is local, that is personal, and changed it into a universal thing. And I'm not saying that, that, that because people in other parts of the world possess you know, problems of their own, we can generalize it, sympathize and empathize it. But we can't, but we can't begin to imagine what it's like there because we are not living in that reality. It is Kendrick's story of the people that he knows and their stories. And yet, he manages to create a work of art that encapsulates all that and still manages to be a great sonic experience, a great hip-hop experience, a great jazz-hop experience, even though I'm not fond of that term, a great musical 
experience overall. And what better way to spread awareness and give out some some education than through a record that can be bought, accessed, downloaded anywhere in the world. Through the World Wide Web, through, you know, mail order vinyl, through Spotify, or other streaming services of your choice, and all that. So, those were four honorable mentions, and you might be confused as to why TBAB isn't number one, and honestly, I considered it to be such. But, um, it's going to be quite a surprising number one, because it's it's not one of those out-there records. It's, it's not something super underground, super indie. It's something that you'd probably recognize through through the singles uh, within the album. Um, oh, sorry. There's one other album that I need, and I really, really, really need to explain, or at the very least, give a shout-out to. And that is Joanna Newsom's Have One On Me. An album released in 2010, so it technically counts. And, um, it's it's, it's a critically acclaimed album. It's a great album. It has a very, very, very long track list. Um, with a lot of songs. With a lot of songs. It's brilliant. It's a folk album by singer-songwriter, multi-instrumentalist, Joanna Newsom, and I don't know how to explain her style. It's it's a mix of, of indie folk, baroque pop, you know. Um, she's a, she's a harpist. She's also a singer. She she can play the piano and several other instruments. And she, um, her voice is an acquired taste. Her vocals are an acquired taste. I have to admit. They weirded me out as well. So should you take a chance of listening to a Joanna Newsome album, uh, you'd probably be spooked at first. She has this this high pitch, high pitched, uh, almost um, wailing sort of voice. But it's it's not as annoying as you imagine, and she usually delivers them. I don't know, there's there's a way, there's there's something about her delivery that to me makes her an amazing artist and an amazing singer-songwriter, even though some may have reservations about her vocals. Now, Have One On Me is a long album covering a lot of tracks and a lot of styles and a lot of diversity. Some classic Joanna Newsom tunes, others bringing out influences that that we rarely hear from her, with a, with a little bit of jazz, with a little bit of blues, and a little bit of the electric guitar and drums here and there. A very interesting mix of, of older, folkier musical instruments with the 
modern um, electric instruments of today. The production is sleek, her vocals are amazing, and the album's length does not um, push you away. It's actually quite welcoming, and despite the the, the sort of connected coherence of the album, um, you don't feel guilty for pausing at a certain song, and you can always continue later and relive the journey all over again. Now, at this point, if Joanna Newsom seems to interest you, and I really hope she does, please, 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 please check out her album, Yeast. That's Y-S-Yeast. And it's released, if I'm not mistaken, in 2006. Now, Yeast is undoubtedly one of my favorite musical albums of all time. Joanna Newsom is on Spotify, so you can search her up on YouTube, or you can purchase her music um, on other services. Now, so we've covered um, the honorable mentions for the previous decade. We have to Pampa Butterfly, we have the Epic, we have Titanic Rising, we have Like Clockwork, and we have Have One on Me. There are lots of other great tracks, and some may even argue that these honorable mentions are better than my pick for album of the of the decade. So without further ado, my favorite musical album of the decade is Death Random Excess Memories. Now, I can feel the disgruntled complaints of several of you, and it makes sense because, you know, they're a very pop group, an electronic group no less. And they make those radio-friendly songs, so, so if it's radio, it must be bad, right? It, it, it's mainstream, after all. Well, no. It's, it's, it's weird that, even though I cannot deny that we have some very annoying and unlistenable uh, pop music or you know trap music playing the radio today doesn't mean that something that's popular is bad or watered down or dumb. Um, it's almost like everyone's expecting to make great music and great content, but once it exhibits the characteristics of great music, one of which is that it attracts audience so when it gains traction and becomes popular it's suddenly cool to hate on it i think it's it's very unfortunate now random access memories was an album that was um released back in two, uh, two, 2013 2013 and 
one of the most popular songs in particular here is Get Lucky featuring Pharrell Williams, which I'm sure you're very much familiar with. And believe it or not, Get Lucky actually, to a certain degree, mirrors the style and tone sort of the, 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 the sonic aesthetics of the album as a whole. The album is actually quite interesting because out of all the Daft Punk albums, uh, which are mostly electronic music, this is the least, um, the least artificial of it all. There is a great involvement of, of post-production of Daft Punk's iconic signature vocoder sound. But a lot of the vocals, um, you know, are unaltered, they're just like that. A lot of the musical instruments are played, uh, instead of, I don't know, like MIDI or something, they are played, played by respectable, uh, great musicians. There's a lot of compositional diversity in the track. There is a great amount of, um, I don't know, like musical, musical journeys and musical, musical wins, I guess, uh, happening in this album, because the combination of sounds is, is just worse. Um, this marriage of conventional played music, performed music, with electronic music proves to be quite, quite a, quite an amazing recipe for success and the opener track itself is so catchy very um very it lifts your spirits and it sends out this get life back to music what a title what, what a feeling and i'm not saying this is a perfect album but i think this is my favorite album of 2000 of the of 2010 for a number of reasons, but first is I think it mirrors a lot of the characteristics of the decade. The decade was a decade that moved forward and innovated so much in practicality and lost itself itself back into the fabric. This whole thing of you know, progress with respect to the past. It's, it's really interesting. And it, it mirrors a lot of what this decade was. We were, we were sprinting through with our changes and our progresses and our advancements. And we got tired of it. Or at the very least, we started looking back and we thought, you know, some of the things in the past were great they were working we don't have to change what isn't broken let's have some appreciation for the great things in the past and it's always been like that but i guess in this decade there's there's a lot of re revival of, of older trends the re-emergence uh, of, of older artists with with their songs suddenly blowing up out of the blue and Ben and Access Memories catches that spirit with it. 
Second is influence. As I've mentioned, this blend of electronic music with respect to um, live performed music, especially uh, funk and pop influences, the signature drumming and the strumming of the guitars in Get Lucky, I guess, is, a, is, a, is an example of one. All these things did not stop at random access memories. I would like to take uh, a bet that it had influenced other musicians for, for, for many times to come. And, you know, you might counter-argue and say, well, I don't hear the influences. Um, the late 2010s saw the rise of, of trap music. Trap is where it's at. But, you know, that would make you turn your back on, on other records that have totally taken influence from, from Daft Punk, from Random Access Memories. And, you know, if you want an example of an artist that, that plays with that nostalgia, you know, might as well mention Bruno Mars with his most recent project where a lot of his songs are very much influenced by, you know, the funk, soul, and the, the whole Motown scene um, from back in the day. And, all you know, lots of other artists are, are using that nostalgia, whether they appreciate its aesthetics, whether they would like to experiment with it, um, whether they simply thought it was cool. Well, it's, 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 it's not for me to know. But I guess that's a sound, that's a sound argument because, um, you know, you'd be lying if you said that that album wasn't influential. Um, my third reason for liking the album is because I really, 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 really like the track uh, Giorgio by Marauder. It is a tribute to famous Italian uh, legend of music, Giorgio, and he is considered the father of disco music, if I'm not mistaken, um, and electronic music, I guess, to a certain extent. And this, this long track has excerpts from Giorgio's uh, interview, uh, Giorgio's personal account of how it went for him, you know, moving up in life, trying to create his music. And, and with those excerpts of interviews, there's this, this melody, this riff, this run, this chord progression, and it actually repeats and loops for the entirety of the track, which is roughly uh, eight or nine minutes, if I'm mistaken. But it manages to keep you invested. The progression is exactly the same, but the changes in arrangement, the changes in melody, is amazing. At some point, there was this, um, there was this usage of, you know, one of those electric synths. Um, at some point, they switch up the rhythms of the drums a little bit. There's even a bass solo. Uh, and a clever, clever use of, of, of the bass guitar to add that 
groove. There's so much groove in the track. And the whole track feels like slowly but surely for the duration of nine minutes. It's slowly elevating itself. Just getting more and more powerful and wild and filled with passion. It, it reminds me really of the, the outro of I Appear Missing in Line Clockwork that I commended heavily before, but it's that for like almost nine minutes. It's great. It's a liberating experience. And it's something I thoroughly enjoyed. It is something I thoroughly appreciated. And you know what? Upon listening to that track, I was ready to make it my favorite album. Again, a track shouldn't define what an album is, but an album is a collection of tracks. So if one track stands out the way Giorgio and Moroder did, it raises my assessment of the album overall, and it made it my favorite album of the 2010s. So what are you going to do about it? Um, well, that's me rambling about my favorite musical projects of the 2010s. I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure I missed a lot. I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of hate and complaints from, from people who think, you know, we should put Sunbather on the list. We should put, uh, we should put My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy on the list. And it's a very good album. We should put uh, Kitsy Ghosts uh, on the list, which again is a, is a record I enjoy a lot. And there are lots of others that I cannot put in, but I must say it has been a good decade for music. It was hard for me to pick my choice, but I made it. I made my choice and I'm sticking with it. And it's up to you to make your choice now. So, take a listen at, you know, the great albums being released this, the previous decade. There's a lot. There's an unending list of albums that you can listen to. English, not English, whatever. It's your right. It's your chance. And it's your freedom. So take the time to listen to a lot of albums. Take a moment to soak in how you feel about it. And once you've listened to enough, choose your favorite. Take your pick. I'll be very interested to know uh, how it works out for you. Um, my advice? Don't let anyone tell you what to like and what not to like. Your opinions are valid. And... Uh, you will learn to love your opinions if you trust in them. You need to trust in your own opinion and your own judgment because that way you can truly enjoy enjoying what you enjoy. Um, that's it for me. I somehow made a bonus episode that has elapsed longer than my actual main podcast, so for that I apologize, I guess. And um, I will see you in a later episode where, I don't know, I'll, I'll think about what to discuss. For now, await the release of episode 3 in my uh, 
In my current podcasts, we discussed about stories in fiction earlier, and we're going to go a bit more in-depth on the next episode. This has been An Evening with Nate. I'm Nathan, your host, and I am uh, going to go for now. Bye!